0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Urban Tech Podcast. I'm John Tomey, the founder of Urban Tech, and your guide to the intersection of cities and tech. For this conversation, I got to chat with Carl Vernersen, Chief Commercial Officer at Voi Technology. Voi's main service is its fleet of scooters that it operates across European nations. The company is finally ready to enter North America. Carl is a super thoughtful guy and I found this perspective super refreshing. I think Voy has a unique strategy for how it's trying to come into the US. I think Voy also brings very different ideas and models around urban planning from it being a European company and it has very strong Scandinavian roots as you'll see in my conversation with Carl. Carl provides insights into the technology, economics of the business, and much more. I hope you enjoy. Carl, thank you so much for taking the time. You're one of the first, I think, true operators that I'm getting the chance to speak with. I know your title is Chief Commercial Officer, so I'd love to hear just a little bit off the top. What do you spend your day doing? I know a little bit about VoI, but what's your product? What's your services?
1: Sure. So VoI is a Swedish startup in the micromobility space where, where we are solely focusing on e-scooters. Up until now, we have been fully focusing on the European market coming from the Nordics and understanding the the European regulatory landscape quite well. That has really been where where we have put all of our efforts and focus into quite successfully. We today control approximately 50% of the total licensed fleet in Europe. And obviously now with, with everything happening on the other side of the pond, and especially New York, considering New York being part of East Coast, and also actually having a slightly different urban environment than what you would expect and see on the West Coast. With with an older city, we thought that uh, we would want to give that RFP process a a chance and opportunity to, to really like educate the the New York officials about VOI and what we have been doing in Europe with everything else happening in the U.S. simultaneously.
0: That's a huge reason why I want to talk to you. I think voice perspective coming from Europe and now trying to enter the U.S. and that education piece is certainly something that stuck out to me, I think. I've been following and even covering so far a lot more of the traditional American micromobility companies, BIRD, and they're obviously cropping up on the West Coast and going that way. You guys are coming from Europe. So I'm curious, what's that process? And I've been following it a little bit. What's the RFP process in New York been like? Can you maybe walk me through just a little bit of that? I know the audience probably has some of the Urban Tech readers and listeners are based in New York and very steeped in the New York politics world. So some will know, but I'd love to give the readers a little bit of that.
1: No, sure. I mean, effectively, it looks very similar to what we see in Europe. I think, especially in a shout-out, actually, to the city officials in New York on the back of the format and kind of how, how, how they then how they decided to run this this RFP process, because being a veteran, if you want to call it, in the e-scooter RFP world, we have seen multiple uh, attempts of licensing and RFP processes that haven't really taken neither the, the the city residentials nor the operators into consideration while while constructing the process and the actual procurement of these type of services so what i think we are looking at for new york is something quite interesting with a great balance between giving the operators an opportunity to really input on fleet sizes and how they would intend to run the scheme whilst on the other hand setting very clear guidelines and restrictions on what overall operations would look like in a city like New York.
0: Yeah, and you talked a little bit about this kind of in the first question about how New York is certainly a different urban environment compared to the West Coast. What challenges or what about New York City makes a unique market itself, I think. I've lived there and I can see where scooters could be challenging in a lot of places and where it could citizens are certainly hesitant to add micromobility but I think New York is certainly there's a lot more to be excited about that market. So what's unique about it?
1: I mean that that question to us being a European company requires us to to rewind a bit and perhaps give the opportunity to, to talk about why by boy even saw the daylight at first because
0: yeah perfect I'd love that I'd love to hear that
1: because Frederick who's our, our CEO, CEO and one of the co-founders actually traveled during the spring of 2018 to, to LA obviously saw what was happening in, in Santa Monica at the time with with these two companies renting out electric scooters to an app and what we had seen the year before in Sweden where we all originate from, was a lot of private use. So people started to purchase electric scooters to, to travel around in the city of Stockholm. He, he, he watched this phenomenon and realized that if this, this works so well in LA, which is a city ultimately created to a large extent during a period of time where your own private car was the main, the main mode of transportation, what if we would bring this to Europe where urban environments and the cities were older and where they were built during a period of time where the primary mode of transportation wasn't a private car? And I guess from an investor perspective and what the investors then asked was, it makes perfectly sense that this type of vehicle would work in Santa Monica where where you have a you know great weather all year round. But putting this out you know in Scandinavia, does that make sense? <laughs> we have snow three to four months a year if we're unlucky. And I guess the bold answer was yes. So in in August, or actually during the summer of 2018, Voy was founded, and I got on board around July, and then in August, we launched the first fleet of 50 scooters in Stockholm, and then that pretty much commenced a very intense 18-month period where we, where we launched approximately 25 to 30 cities around Europe. I got engaged in a company based on the fact that during the period of time, I, I worked at a policy agency, uh, focusing a lot on digital communications and digital strategy so freddy came to me being an old friend of mine asking what i would do to really convey stakeholders and city officials that, that this was a good idea and like how do we even how do we even enable how do we even make sure that we can launch and at the time looking at the american newspapers and press at the time there was a lot of Friction between the scooter operators and the cities they were operating in, and what I then concluded was: I think this is how you do it short term, <laughs> but but I don't think that is a, sustain, a sustainable way of doing it. So I think one of our chances and opportunities to to really make an imprint and an impact of, on Europe and be a worthy competitor to these US by the time giants compared to us is to actually work with cities and that might be a slower process but we need to get the cities with us because if we don't get them with us we will be able to place those scooters but they will they will be banned and it will for some markets be a matter of months and for some markets it will be a matter of one one and a half years but the politicians will win if we don't work with them to collaborate because we are introducing something to their city and Hence, hence why we need to collaborate and make sure that we respect all different stakeholders. So that that became the, the golden rule for VOI to never launch any operations in any of the European cities that we intended to, to launch without the prior blessing of the city officials.
0: Personally, I love that. I think something more generally about the micromobility space and I think I love it. And personally, like it compared to more so of ride sharing is just the intentionality, the thoughtfulness. And even though I think certainly when it started, there were challenges when scooters were just showing up on streets and it was happening all over the world. And I'm not going to talk specifically. I think that's been talked to death uh, already about the industry and they've moved past that. So I think the thing that I'm most excited about is The perspective, like people like you are offering, how can we work with cities to engage a number of stakeholders? Because when others know there's so many different people and stakeholders who are involved in transportation policy and creating the systems to allow access to transportation. And so I'm curious when. You were rolling out and growing in Europe. What did that regulatory framework look like? Was it going market to market? Or was it more easy to maybe do like a multi-city rollout? I'm interested a little bit just to see how maybe you'd approach growth. Because I think in the US, you have to go city by city just because of the local regulations involved with it all. It's pretty tough to do like a multi-tier city rollout all at once.
1: Yeah, no. And that that become or that became one of the one of one of the biggest challenges of operating in Europe because you were effectively looking at so many different layers of regulation so how it works in Europe is that what enables city regulation is national uh, legislation launching in 2018 most of the countries in Europe they didn't have any national legislation in place and on the back of that obviously then to a large extent missing or didn't really provide the tools for cities to regulate Also, that to us then became even more important to actually work with the cities right because if if they didn't have actually the legal power to to a large extent policing or regulating this type of service it's even more important that that you work together closely to figure out what to do and i remember this as, as a clear a clear memory from late 2008 we were in discussions with the city of copenhagen uh, because obviously denmark being the the, the neighboring country of sweden that datos made a lot of sense we had a great conversation they admitted that we don't have any any tools to really regulate this at, at this certain point but we would really want you guys to hold off uh, launching until early in 2019 because there are certain you know topics and discussions that we would want to have internally before reverting back to how we envisioned this to happen and we were obviously respecting that held off there was another player who didn't they launched mid-december 2500 vehicles straight into copenhagen 48 hours, the entire fleet was <laughs> impounded mm. in the central police station of Copenhagen, because you could you could see that when you opened this uh, competitor's app that <laughs> that we had a large cluster of yeah. vehicles oh. inside a building, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that proved, I guess, uh, my thesis and point that it was so important that even though the regulatory tools practices didn't exist it was still super important to work with cities and not
0: go rogue for the short wins i think that point is super important for micromobility and transportation specifically but also for this urban tech space that i'm covering more broadly i think any industry that is entering a space that is easy to or apt to be regulated has to have an intentionality to it. It doesn't seem like the move fast and break things approach to is necessarily the way that works nowadays when there's a lot of tension with government, tech, and just the world right now. So I do love that and how you're trying to just work together to bring it all and make it happen. I'm curious when you're talking to regulators, and I'm sure it does vary a lot, but what are the common things, questions that they're asking of you? What initiatives are they looking for you to bring on, to bring to a city? What common things do they want from a microservice?
1: I would divide it into three buckets, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. One one big concern you know, that, that we also share with the cities and that, that we're working um, tirelessly to always improve is, is parking where bad parking can lead to uh, cluttering and that is uh, a topic that involves not only infrastructure technology but also how you operate a fleet yeah really really being a company-wide effort and focus uh, to to ensure that that the, the vehicles they are only placed where they get used that we are continuously educating our users and policing them proactively by using geofencing and various zones but also physical infrastructure to ensure that that non-customers are also being taken into consideration when you're launching a, a new city. Uh, and then secondly, obviously uh, social responsibility. So with that said, one of the one of the questions that we tend to see a lot in europe is uh, how you work or how we work with all of our operational staff basically where we were very early on to to not uh, go for a gig worker setup but more f- focusing on in-house operations knowing or understanding at least that if we do this in a more controlled way we will be getting operational efficiency and, and uh, which ultimately leads to profitability by being best in class in how to charge and maintain our our own fleet. So instead of decentralizing that knowledge, really uh, centralizing that knowledge and create the best tools and the best training to achieve that. And then thirdly, obviously traffic safety and user safety. where where we are also working with with a great variety of different initiatives spanning from user training to our driving school we have a an an online traffic course actually where where people that are intending to use our service can yeah can get a good understanding of how you operate one of our vehicles in the vehicle itself and also how you behave in traffic but also through different product iterations to ensure that that our hardware is the safest hardware in the business
0: those are certainly three categories that i've noticed coming up again and when i've seen regulators quoted on record or seen sources talking about it those seem to be the three biggies that people want more of and that we need it so love those i'm curious and i think your title is chief commercial officer so i'd love to Get your perspective a little bit on just what it's like on the economics of working with a business like this. I think I appreciate the operational difficulty of deploying a fleet of scooters. And I'm always just amazed when I walk outside of my apartment and I see the multiple different fleets that have been rolled in and out every night. And I'm always amazed by that process, but I'm curious, this space obviously to scale and grow, it takes a lot of capital, it's super competitive. And I'm not sure what's voice funding status. What are you guys at in terms of that? Are there any like growth metrics or anything you can share just to give an idea on like where scale the business and things like that? Sure.
1: So, all in all, we have raised approximately 300 million US since start. We just closed a 160 million US dollar a series C round, which we anticipate will take us to profitability Mm -hmm. during 2020 we actually saw profitable months during the during the high season so despite covid and despite lower movements in cities overall i think we have achieved or made a huge progress over the last 12 to 18 months just when it comes to operational efficiency and also vehicle efficiency where the swappable batteries for us have been have been a game changer in the terms of allowing us to not only reduce our uh, carbon footprint by only moving batteries instead of the full vehicles mm-hmm. but it also gives us the opportunity to create a higher reliability of the service by Allowing more hours of the day availability on a periscooter level or Macy's. So for us, that have been yeah one of the
0: one of the biggest successes. Maybe go a little bit more in. I know, uh, and the battery thing is something that I think is super unique and interesting. Can you maybe just give a little bit more detail on what that is and what's unique about sure. That?
1: And where we came from was obviously a model with an embedded battery so for us to uh, charge the vehicle we had to take in the vehicle into a van <laughs> drive that vehicle to one of our warehouses charge it and then put it back out on the street again now with our, our last generation uh, of vehicles the v3 we uh, actually changed that in, into making uh, the battery swappable so what happens is that Whenever a scooter is low of battery, we instead of taking in the entire scooter can use an electric cargo bike to to go to the to the vehicle itself, open up the the footboard of the vehicle, and then just replace the battery, creating too many downtime, including a visual inspection and and, and minor maintenance program of the vehicle when it stands there on the street, which to us. And for our customers, more importantly, it creates 15, 20 percent higher availability rate of the entire fleet, which, which then in turn creates more uh, recurring customers knowing that there is always or at many times available fleets just around the corner of where they are. and not only not only to for, uh, not also to forget the fact that we, that we for our uh, charging crews, Giving them a, a better working environment because instead of them having to move a sixty-pound vehicle in and out of vans, they are only now swapping a battery, which is approximately five percent of the entire vehicle weight. So that is also a, a good improvement that that sometimes tends to be forgotten uh, when talking about this feature. Yeah,
0: right gives you a really good picture because yeah i've always wondered and like i see the vans coming out and have to find scooters of the people loading in the like 30 however many scooters into it and then rolling them back out and whenever i see that i'm like how how can this continue if this industry is truly going to grow is that is that really sustainable probably not so i think innovations like that like what you guys are doing with the battery packs and things like that are huge i'm curious What, obviously, I know New York's a big focus, but when you look at US cities and opportunities, obviously, there's a lot of entrenched players right now who have been here already. But what cities or markets excite you and excite the VOI team? Or do you have your eyes on? And I know you probably can't speak too much because you don't want to give away too much on what markets you might be going to. But I'm just curious, as a European company coming into the US, what metro areas are exciting places?
1: No, I, th- I think there are so many things happening on the East Coast in the US that might be uh, super interesting further down the road. But I, but I think for us, it would really start with New York because, considering the, the size of the city, the size of the opportunity, that, that would really be, you know, what what I guess we would to some extent need in order for us to actually divert from our original plan, which has always been Europe. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, also putting our North American headquarter into New York, which, I mean, to some extent would make us unique in a sense that the local American players tend to be situated on the West Coast. But for us, coming from Europe and looking at the East Coast cities, they are more relevant to us from an urban environment perspective and where New York would be the first stepping stone
0: into the East Coast of the U.S. And I'm sure it's a very interesting, different approach to trying to enter the U.S. than maybe some of the other operators who have already been here. Can you maybe walk me through, what's the timeline on the RFP process look like And for New York? What do people need to have their eyes on? I know it's coming up soon. What do Urban Tech readers need to be making sure they're looking at?
1: You tell me. (laughs) We would know as little little as anyone else, but but yeah. what we what we uh, anticipate is to have a or progress made in the RFP process during January. So the ambition, at least from from a city perspective, as far as I have understood it, they are looking to to actually launch the program in April. So, with that said, I think we will, uh, yeah we will get news and more information sooner rather than later.
0: It's definitely coming up quick. And I know I've, I'm having a lot of conversations with people in New York on a wide range of issues affecting New York. There's a pretty big election coming up this year. New York politics are definitely going to be a big thing. And But the back of the mind that everyone's talking about is the scooter thing, because they think it's something that people have wanted or been talking about for years. And... The e bike stuff, and I lived in New York, and that was certainly a big part of this larger narrative. But it just feels like it's why haven't we had them now? I'm excited, and I think a lot of people are going to love scooters in New York when they are able to finally ride them and get them. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? Anything that kind of came up? during our conversation
1: maybe there's i don't know maybe there's an opportunity to talk a little bit about the uk
0: i don't know a ton about the uk and so i'd love to talk a little bit about that what should i know what should i be looking at
1: yeah sure so effectively or simultaneous to to the new york tender there has also been an rfp process for london and they ran in parallel so the deadline for London was the day prior to the deadline of New York. Effectively, what has happened in the UK, being one of the few markets in in Europe where there was actually legislation preventing electric scooters, that was anticipated to to change in twenty twenty one, but but due to COVID, they t- made the legislation change earlier. So, out of nowhere, suddenly, yeah, approximately twenty cities around around the UK held simultaneous RFP processes where, where we have been able to secure approximately 80% of them, where at least from a European perspective, what we have seen in terms of how the cities have really um, projected the e to trials of the UK, th- that has been something completely different and, and a more thorough process than what we've seen in in the other countries of Europe that have gone down the RFP routes.
0: No, that's ah. super interesting. I'm curious, and I'm not sure. I'm not a, like a foreign policy expert and only look at some of the stuff as it relates back to the American landscape. But how, how has Brexit played into the micromobility landscape in Europe? Is there like anything unique there? I'm just curious. Obviously, it's been a big thing the last couple no. of years.
1: Not really. Not from a micro mobility perspective. I guess yeah. our finance department would tell me different. But, but that would be from an, from an import tax perspective. Totally. I can only imagine.
0: All right. Cool. All right. Yeah, I was just curious, just because. Brexit, I feel like, is the thing people are going to be wondering how it's impacting stuff for the next few years. I think you talked a little bit about this earlier when you talked about some of the three big categories that regulators are speaking with you about and looking for from the industry. But what specific technologies related to safety are you looking at or is the industry looking at? So riders, pedestrians can all be safer
1: I think we're working on, on, on all angles to, to improve safety from a technology and product perspective. So from a hardware perspective, obviously making sure that, that our vehicles in its design are safe as they possibly can. For our new generation that we have applied with in New York, we have turning indicators, which is effectively a new feature for us. Other than that, we are also piloting a technology with computer vision, and this technology enables us to do two things. One is to, in a more accurate way, detect sidewalk riding. And secondly, which is more importantly, actually, is also for this for this sensor and this technology to to identify pedestrians you know that that might might be coming too close to, to to where you ride what that technology really enables us to do is is to work in a more preventive way when it comes to um, vehicle safety preventing accidents secondly on the more software side we are also working on a on a couple of different initiatives one that we that actually materialized from a, a hackathon that we did internally that mm-hmm. uh, is a helmet selfie feature so when you approach a scooter to unlock it and you unlock it, the user is asked whether they are wearing a helmet or not. And if they are and they take a selfie, we have a AI technology that would then detect whether it's a helmet in, like, on the head of that user. And if it is, we would uh, waive about a dollar of the ride cost. Second to that, we also something that we we have developed over the last months is a beginner mode so effectively a uh, an option that we can that we can enforce or the user can uh, choose optionally depending on the market where where the scooter would uh, only be limited to to a lower speed than what it actually is able to uh, to deliver also for, for for a couple of for a couple of i think it's between three to five rides to to really ensure that the user uh, gets a full understanding of how the vehicle behaves and how it operates before before allowing them to go uh, full speed.
0: Yeah, no, and the Washington Post is a story on some of that more hardware, computer vision stuff. And so I'm curious on, like, maybe more on that piece. Are you guys developing all that technology in-house? Are there third-party operators or teams that are working to provide this to multiple scooter operators?
1: yes so we are working with a with a with a dublin based company called luna so it's a third party company where together with with a couple of universities as well are actually figuring out uh, a couple of different pilot cases to um, yeah to to really try to implement this at a bigger scale than what we have done previously
0: yeah yeah and luna yeah the luna's name sounds very familiar around all this space i've definitely seen them so this is awesome don't want to take up too much more of your time where can people keep track and keep up to date on voy where can people follow your work and what the company's up to
1: i guess the 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 mothership would be com, uh, and where, where you would find uh, all our social channels and also on linkedin under my under my name <laughs>
0: Awesome. I'll be sure to include all the links and show notes and in the newsletter. Carl, thank you so much. This was great. I can't wait to have you back when some of the New York stuff is a little bit more clear in the months ahead and we can chat and I can learn a little more about scooters from you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time.
0: One final ask before I go, please continue to share the Urban Tech newsletter and podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. Anyone who could benefit from learning about how tech is changing our cities more and more every day. Thanks, and I'll talk to you soon.